everyone, and welcome to another Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to introduce my guest for today, New York Times bestselling author and co-host of the popular podcast, Awareness Explorers, Jonathan Robinson. And he's made a career out of getting to know the greatest spiritual leaders of our time, from Oprah to Adashanti. He has interviewed over 100 notable people to get their take on how to live a happy, peaceful, and meaningful life. In his latest book, he's written 14, by the way, it's called The Enlightenment Project, How I Went from Depressed to Blessed, and You Can Too. He shares stories of what he learned from his encounters with people such as the Dalai Lama, Byron Katie, Deepak Chopra, and the late Mother Teresa and Ram Das, as well as powerful methods that helped him out of his depression and into lasting inner peace. And actually, John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, describes Jonathan's latest book by saying, This book will inspire and support you to take the next step on your journey of enlightenment. It is fun, surprising, informative, and a real page turner. So I got Jonathan in front of me, excited to get into this. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Great to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. I always love diving into topics around enlightenment and and even, you know, stuff around just changing mindset. You know, this is such a big uh, component of the, the Just Get Started podcast of how we change our mindset, because, you know, if we don't discover ourselves as my belief, we can't discover happiness. And, you know, to get on that road, we have to start being able to will, willing to explore things a little bit deeper inside of ourselves. So excited to have you on to share your journey a little bit. Um, I want to start a little bit. I, I, I want to get into the book. I'm assuming we'll talk a lot about this book, because, again, it's a lot in sync with uh, the Just Get Started podcast. But I want to learn a little bit more about your getting started moment. You know, I know for myself, there's so many different inflection points in my life that kind of led me on a different path, a different way of thinking, um, ultimately leading me to this spot here. So I'm curious for yourself, is there one or two moments that you can think of that maybe veered you off of a different path you were heading down and ultimately shaped uh, your future? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I was blessed to have a very dysfunctional family which meant that I was very depressed and even suicidal at age 12. I remember um, my parents arguing in the car I was in, uh, as they often did, and I had the thought, if I had control of my mind, and it didn't feel like my thought, it felt like a voice coming from outside of me, mm-hmm. which was really strange. I never had that experience. But it said, if I had control of my mind, what happened externally wouldn't make much difference to me. So I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. And my uncle was a hypnotist. And I remember him hypnotizing my shy sister into thinking she was Mick Jagger and her jumping on a table and singing, I can't get no satisfaction. I thought, wow, you know, if you can get somebody to change their mind and their whole identity in five minutes of talking to them, well, I wanted to be Mick Jagger or anybody other than who I was. So I started to look into hypnosis and meditation and all kinds of happiness things, looking for the best methods that would get me out of my depression. And then, you know, I kind of started to see that there were certain methods that worked really well in under two minutes. And since I'm kind of lazy, I became focused on those methods and later made a career out of it because a lot of people are as lazy as me. They don't want to spend a long time changing their mindset. So I wrote books about these methods. Oprah liked the books. And, and so I made a career out of changing mindsets quickly. When you were a child, so obviously you mentioned that, you know, that point when you were 12, 
did you continue then that curiosity you mentioned about some of these things? Like, did you know at that time, or I guess it maybe as you got into your teenage years that, Hey, I, this is what I wanted to focus on as a, as a career path as you know, something to do in life. Or did that kind of randomly happen after some deeper discovery? I think I wanted to go into psychology, you know, because I found it so helpful. I wasn't thinking career at age 15. I was just following what my heart was saying at any given moment. So I didn't even think of being an author. I became a psychotherapist, but I didn't think of being an author until somebody said, you know, you write really well, you should write a book. Mm. <laughs> I said, well, well, how do you do that? You know, and, and one thing led to another, and then I had several bestsellers and on and on. But really, it was just a matter of what's alive for me in this moment. And what was alive was discovering new techniques that helped me out and ended up helping other people out as well. You know, as a, and I think about this when you're telling that story at the beginning, you know, I have a 10 year old and I'm just thinking about, you know, what he observes and how his mind works different than an adult mind. When you think back now of, of that childhood and those memories, like, is there anything you would encourage? Let's, let's say there are parents listening in anything you'd encourage them of how they either communicate with their child, how they are around their children, anything that you've learned in this journey? I know it's a random path, but I was kind of just thinking about it. I'm like, well, maybe I have you here. Let's, uh, let's see where we can go, you know? Well, I think two things really serve all human beings, especially kids, would be curiosity, you know, to look into different things, look into different religions, look into different self-help techniques, look into how to have better relationships. You know, I started to read a lot of books and you can get the world's expert on any topic for like $10 now. That's pretty good. Uh, the other thing is to experiment, you know, try stuff and see what works for you you know, different things work for different people. So I got to meet a lot of teachers and they would make a lot of suggestions. And I'd say, hey, that really blew my socks off or that was totally useless. And by trying stuff, you get to see what really works for you. Once you find something that works for you, you have a friend for life. And one of the things too, like, you know, you mentioned meditation as well. It's something I've, I've actually tried to get my son to do this a little bit, but like, I know for me, this is back, I'm thinking now, that's probably been six years now when I discovered meditation and started to really do that. That really, and I'm, I'm curious if you can go deeper, especially folks listening in maybe haven't done it or have just uh, kind of tapped into it briefly, but it really helped me not just expose like new thoughts and ideas that kind of expanded my mind, but what I found it was it really gave me more patience of like not kind of, not that I flew off the handle a lot, but you know, I know we, we know not all of us can get angry at times, but like it almost gave me a split second extra to like be thoughtful and think through things. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. A, what has meditation done for you? And then again, the encouragement for others, how do they start with meditating? Is, is that just sitting by themselves? Is that using some sort of app? Like what, what's the, you know, there's so many different uh, avenues, I guess you could go with it. Yeah, well, you know, first meditation was just to help me deal with depression and I did something it calmed me down. But you know, the more you practice something, the better you get at it. So, uh, you know, the first five years, it was kind of relaxing, and then it became feeling really good. And now it's like intense ecstasy. But I've been meditating for a long time. You know, it's a very deep pool there. And even if you're touching the surface of the pool, that's good for you. But as you go deeper and deeper, you know, the heaven kingdom of heaven is within or that's what Jesus said, the Buddha said, uh, everything you need to know is inside you. So it has a lot of possibilities. Now, in terms of starting out meditation, at, uh, my podcast website, awarenessexplorers.com, 
there's a a thing in the navigation bar that says meditations. So when I'm talking to the Dalai Lama or Deepak Chopra or Byron Katie or Adyashanti, I say, give me your best 10 minute guided meditation, the one that will make people's head explode, mm. you know, <laughs> and these people get to practice and see what really works. So we record it and it's all free. So we have like 90 free guided meditations from all the world's experts on meditation. And that would be a good place to start because listening to a guided meditation at first is easier than just meditating on your own. So you do a test run of several guided meditations, you see what works for you, and then you go deeper and deeper the more you practice it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The uh, again for folks that haven't done it, I, I'd encourage it just because, like I said, it this ex it's such a weird experience. That first like minute or two, you feel awkward. You're like, you know, what am I doing here? Yeah. But uh, after that, it opens up, obviously, for you. Um, all right. So I want to talk. So let, we've used the word a few times, enlightenment. What, what is enlightenment? Well, enlightenment is being in the world, perceiving the world without the lens of the ego. You know, right now, you think that you're Brian. I think I'm Jonathan. But behind that ego personality, there's just an awareness. There's just a presence. We're alive without a past or a future. And those moments where we maybe are in nature watching a beautiful sunset where we're totally present or we're making love with someone or we're just feeling the love for our child or our pets, those are moments of enlightenment. Now, some people live in that state all the time, meaning they don't leave it. They're always free of the ego limitations and perceiving the world from a place of deep love and peace. And in the Enlightenment Project book, I try to share the greatest hits of what triggers that in some people or how to have more of those moments and some of the stories from these people of how they got there and what it's like to live an enlightened life, which is uh, a very interesting experience. Well, so we, I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. So let's talk about ego, because that is something that's obviously, you know, for, and I, and I, you know, um, you know, I think one of my favorite books, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday kind of talks a lot. I, I don't know if you've read that or not. But again, just this whole idea of how it's again, a lot of it's our perspective on the world and what we think's happening to us and, and all these type of things. So can you share a little bit more about ego? Like, what are some things to be aware of with our ego, maybe on a day-to-day -day basis that can help us down the path to not remove it maybe, but at least have awareness that it's there? Yeah, well, that's a great question. One very simple exercise I use is I say, well, what's a current story going through my head? And it's usually, you know, like a complaint story or a poor me story or things should be different than they are story. You know, today my, my hip hurts a little bit. So I have a story going through my head. Gee, I wonder what's happening with my hip. I wonder if it's a problem. Should I go to the doctor? Blah, 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 blah. You know, the mind is always doing that. But there are layers below the mind that always feel peaceful, that always feel loving. And our mission, should we decide to accept it, is to live below the level of mind chatter and into the level of deep peace and love. I believe that's our mission for all of humanity. And most people don't know good ways of doing that that are quick and easy. So my mission has always been to find the best technology, the best methods for doing that quickly and easily because I want it. And ends up, 
you know, getting the greatest hits from all these gurus, there are some things that work phenomenally better than what most people are doing. You know, most people are using methods that are 2000 years old, you know, from Jesus or Buddha or whoever, you know, most people don't use a, a computer that's even 10 years old. Why are we using spiritual methods that are 2000 years old? They are completely uh, ineffective compared to the latest methods. So what I tried to do is get out those methods to as many people as possible. What's an old, uh, just like an old 2000 year old practice maybe that people are doing? Is there one you can share? I'm just kind of just racking my yeah, brain. Sure, up. yeah. Uh, breath meditation, mantra meditation, okay. prayer, you know, all the things that we've heard, yoga, all of those are 2000 years old. Um, not that they're bad, they just, you know, a computer from 1985 is not a bad computer. It's just a very slow, right. ineffective computer. Yeah. Well, when you, so when you think of like, or you're talking about going that like layer deeper and, and, you know, into the, the love and all this other stuff, it, do you get there by like, once you're in, I'm trying to break this down, right? Once you're in it, how long do you stay in it, I guess, before you get shook out of it? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like yeah. do we just, is it an ebb and flow? Because you mentioned there's some people that stay in it all the time. I'm curious, like, what are they doing? Maybe that's not feasible for everyone, but at least how do we get there a good chunk of the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, really, I think the process is you try out the greatest methods that are in the book and see which ones work the best for you and then choose one or two of those methods and just do it as much as you can. I go in and out of these higher states of consciousness. I have a busy life. Uh, I, I, I am not a fully enlightened being, but it is really nice to go into deep peace, love and ecstasy, uh, a minute here, a minute there throughout your day. You know, it can be as simple as, as I said, I gave that one method, uh, what's the current story in my head? And can I put it on the shelf just for a bit? Can I step out of that story for a minute? And what do you <laughs> It'll do? still be there. Right. So what do you do? So let's use the hip. You're talking about the, ah, my hips hurt or whatever to have this story. Is it just to say, okay, you know what? I'm not even going to, I'm going to think about something else. It's almost like a redirection of thought. Or is it more of just a, okay, I'm telling the story about my hip. Is it, you know, I kind of think back, you mentioned, you know, Byron Katie and Loving What Is was a was a great book to help me kind of, you know, change the way I think about things. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about because it's like asking those questions to ourselves, you know, so I'm kind of thinking it in that way is like, is it just kind of since it's front of mind, and we actually are focusing on it, it almost is easier to put it to the side, like we're actually accepting, hey, it's there, we know it's there, but let's put it to the side for a minute. Does that make sense? That's that, one that's approach. Kind of, okay. That's one approach, uh, and you could call that a letting go approach, letting go of focusing on it for a moment. There are other approaches like it, um, increasing the aperture of your awareness. So, you know, I might be focused on my hip or the latest problem or whatever, and instead I say, well, what else is going on? Well, I feel the sensations in my hands in my lap. What else is going on? Uh, I see my dog over here, who I love very much, uh, smiling and having a good time. What else is going on? It's a beautiful day out there. What else is going on? I can feel my breathing and just this moment of being present. What else is going on? Well, there's an awareness, aware of all this that's just here right now. So I'll call that the what else method. There are methods that focus on, say, gratitude. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I. When I talk to a lot of spiritual teachers, they mention the importance of gratitude. And 
So when a friend of mine said he came from India and he got a special mantra that helped him feel gratitude all the time, I was very interested. Right. Well, I said, what's the mantra? He said, you got to get directly from the guru. So I go all the way to India to get this mantra, you know, travel 20,000 miles. And, you know, uh, I finally, after waiting in line for five hours, I get a chance to talk to the guru. I say, what's your mantra for feeling overwhelming gratitude? Well, he says in Indian accent, ah, my mantra is the most powerful on earth. He leans in to whisper in my ear and says, when possible, repeat these words. My mantra is the words, thank you. Well, I look at him because I think he's joking with me, but he's, has, he's not smiling. I say, that's it? I traveled 20,000 miles to get thank you? Yeah. And he says, no, that's it is the mantra you have been using. That makes you feel like you never have enough. My mantra is thank you, not that's it. That's it will take you nowhere. Mm. Well, I, I sneer at him. I say, well, thanks for nothing. And he says, thanks for nothing is not the mantra. You must say it from your heart many times a day. So when you eat good food, say thank you. When you see your child or a sunset or your pet, say thank you to God and you will be filled with gratitude. Well, the funny thing, Brian, is if you actually feel your heart for five seconds and then say thank you for whatever is happening in your life. I mean, we're talking for free from across the, the country. You know, and we get to talk about this. Thank you. Thank you. Right. You know, uh, my hip hurts, but my the rest of my body feels fabulous. Thank you. You know, uh, we could go to the supermarket. There's 20,000 food items in the supermarket that we can get for just giving them pieces of paper. Thank you. So really, these methods can be very simple, but you have to try out different things to find out whether a letting go approach or a in, uh, what else approach or a mantra approach or whatever, what other technologies, what other methods out there really work for you. Yeah. And isn't it the truth? Because we, we have so many great things going on in our life. If we focus on it and it's always like, we want to focus on the, the one that's not working, you know? Yeah. It's just amazing. You know, there's, there's, you know, a hundred doors and, and we're, we're focused on the one that's locked maybe versus the other 99 that are open. I don't know. I just, I just thought of it that way, but like, it is interesting some, for some reason. And I don't know I, like, have you, have you dispelled it down of, of why, like why as humans, I guess, do we do that? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty clear. The reason is because a hundred thousand years ago, it had survival value. The the people focusing on how wonderful life is, they got eaten by tigers, whereas the people who were like, "What is that sound? What's that?" The, you know, that were paranoid. Basically, they survived to pass down their genes. So we're the descendants of of a thousand generations of paranoid uh, apes. Oh. But that makes and sense. um and so we have those minds you know uh, for your uh, listeners who are watching on on a uh, YouTube or whatever here's a black a little black dot on a piece of paper that represents your biggest problem right now now we have a relationship with that problem and the pro the relationship most people have with that black dot on that piece of paper is they put their eyeball right on that black dot and say, oh, it's so dark, I can't see anything. It's just nothing but blackness as far as I can see. So part of our job is to remove our eyeball from that black dot and have a perspective of awareness and presence and even these higher frequencies 
of peace, love, and bliss. And that's a journey. It's a hero's journey to do that. And if you're using really good methods, like the latest methods in the Enlightenment Project, um, then you will likely be able to experience those things much more quickly than if you're using 2,000-year-old methods. So in the book, and, and the subtitle is How I Went from Depressed to Blessed, and You Can Too. When you talk of, when you kind of say that, is that going back to your childhood depressed, or were there other points in your life where there was some depression there that crept up that you had to ultimately get over? Really, it was in my teenage years, I left the depression because that's by that time I was gained into meditation and hypnosis and other self-help things. I haven't had to deal with that, although my brother and sister uh, have had to deal with that. They never got into this stuff and they've been in and out of mental hospitals because of it. Oh, wow. And is it something, do you work with them on some of this stuff? Like, have you approached them with these methods or... <laughs> they certainly know that I'm into this, but, you know, everybody has different things. They think that, you know, more money or uh, a different relationship is the key, as do most people. And, you know, more money and a good relationship certainly are nice, yeah. but I don't see them as the key to happiness. I, uh, they can help, but after a while, they only do so much. It, show, it ends up that people who make $75,000 a year and people who make $75 million a year are equally happy. So money is useful if you're poor, but once you're middle class, uh, it really doesn't do much for you. And is that always the striving for more, as we were talking about a little earlier, like, you're, you know, whatever you have today, whatever each of us have, where it's like, well, I, I'd love to get just a little bit extra tomorrow and so on and yeah. so forth. And there's never, there's no sat, no satisfaction in just actually yeah, the money. The mind is always thinking that a little bit more of this, if only I had this, then I'd be happy, but it goes on forever. And enlightenment is really the sense that this moment is perfect. And as I dive more deeply into this moment, I can experience a vibration of love and peace without having to change anything. It's a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think about it like, from accepting what we have just as it is, but then ultimately, you know, I look at it, I guess, from a standpoint of like focused on areas that are maybe detrimental to us. You know, I, relationships are a great, you know, kind of um, thought around this is like, okay, let's look at the negative people in our lives, the people weighing us down, the ones that are maybe causing a little more anxiety and angst and whatever. How do we look at not ridding them fully from our lives, but potentially like looking at bringing in new people that are more supportive and loving and, you know, what have you? How, how do you think of it from accepting what we have, but also looking at changing for the better if there are some things that are really detrimental to us? Yeah, yes. Great questions, Brian. Um, well, think of it like two wings of a plane. If you have a plane that has one very long, strong wing and one very short wing, that, wing, that plane is going to go around circles and then crash. So one wing of a plane that we want in order to live a really fulfilling life is the ability to move things around, to control things, to hang out with good people, to have a roof over your head. That's a nice ability to have. The other wing, and that involves a fair amount of striving and doing, the other wing is going deep into accepting and allowing things to be as they are. And that involves various spiritual methods and meditation and 
some methods I talked about, like letting go, uh, diving deeper into presence. That's another wing. You put those two wings together and you have a plane that can really soar. But in Western culture or Western culture, because it is kind of a cult of thinking that always the next thing will make me happy and being on that treadmill that you never get off of and, and you never get to experience really much happiness because you're always in the striving mode rather than the being mode. Yeah. Well, and I think partially, you know, it goes down to, do we ever actually sit and figure out what makes us happy? Again, thinking, okay, let's look at all the moments in our life. What are actually the happy things in our life? What are the things to you going back to your point is like kind of, you know, being thoughtful about, you know, what are some of those different areas? Because if we're always trying to be better, we almost, it's almost like we think we don't have good things, but we have so many great things. But what are those so we can lean into those more? And again, we, we can get the, the rid ourselves of some of the ones that aren't as happy. It's, it's almost like it's such a weird, I don't know. I think about this way too much. It's so weird as humans. It's like the stuff that is not good for us, for whatever reason, we keep it around because maybe it's a status thing. Maybe it's like it makes us look good in the eyes of the world, but it's, it's detrimental to us. And I don't know why we keep it around. I don't, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but... It's, it's just interesting to think about, well, if, if we're grateful for what we have and, and the happy points, who cares about the other stuff if it's not working yeah. for us, you know? Right. I, well, let me give your audience a couple of really simple happiness boosters. Good. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, that I think can really make a huge difference. First of all, the, the number one happiness booster is to do an act of kindness for a stranger or friend that boosts your, your happiness quicker than anything, which is pretty interesting. Um, the Dalai Lama said that happiness is his, uh, or kindness is his religion. Mm-hmm. I like that statement. But you know, one way to have more happiness is make a list of the things that make you happy and uh, playful and fun and try to do those more often. That's pretty simple, but most people haven't made that list. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good thing to do. But another thing is when you find yourself in a really enjoyable moment, you'll normally find that there's a voice in your head that says, okay, we've had enough of this. We got to do now do our list, you know, our to-do list or whatever. Well, just hang out in those moments a little bit longer. So when I'm like petting my dog and loving her, instead of doing it for 10 seconds, I now do it for a minute. I tell her how much I love her and pet her and she gets, she loves it. I love it. Why not stay there a little bit longer? You can double your happiness level or happiness moments overnight just by hanging out a little bit longer with, you know, enjoying a scene in nature or looking into a lover's eyes or just uh, appreciating uh, anything really. And that can really increase your happiness level quite a bit. Well, I, and I think that goes back to, I mean, you, you're kind of talking, at least I'm breaking down is more like staying present of, of where we're at right now, forgetting about mm-hmm. the future, forgetting about dwelling on a past mistake or whatever. And that's going back to the meditation thing. That's what at least I found was helpful was like, you stay more present. That was the word I was trying to think of when I back when we were talking about yeah. that, like stay more present in the moment versus always like what's going to happen next week or next month or next year or whatever. Always like thinking anxious, worrying instead of just like, we have this now, let's just enjoy it, you know? Well, I don't know about you, Brian, but I've never been in the future. Have you? (laughs) No, I mean, until it happens, I guess, but yeah. 
<laughs> no, it, it never happens. Uh, in the, well, I it, guess it becomes present. In, yes. in, yeah. in some future date, you yes. will be in the present. Sure, yes. So, exactly. so the problem is we have a relationship with the present that's almost like this is an inconvenience. Yes. And uh, I can't wait to get to that future moment. But in that future moment, you'll be thinking, this is an inconvenience. I can't yes. wait to get to that future moment. Well, we never live it. We never live a single second in our life in the future. So you better develop a really good relationship with the present because you are bound to be there. In fact, you could always use the mantra, this moment is the most important moment of my life because it, that is always true. The moment you are in is always the most important moment of your life, even if you're doing the dishes. Which is important, you know, to <laughs> so you don't have more in the future. Um, when uh, you you mentioned earlier, I'm actually I'm just curious to get your thoughts. The the folks that you said live their whole life in enlightenment, yeah, are they doing a mixture of practices to kind of keep that, or is there like one specific that they find works for them, and then they just keep doing that one? Because obviously you have a what did you say a hundred or so in your book. So how, yeah. how the, the folks are the most enlightened, or they seem like they are throughout their life, and they stay in that mode. How do they stay in that? Or how do they stay? They usually, they usually found one method that just worked for them and they just do that. Hmm. I mean, and the methods often sound really simple, but they can go very deep. Like the, the thank you method. If you're feeling grateful for everything in your life, you're in a totally different state of consciousness than everybody around you. Yeah, you know? that's true. Um, or, or if you're feeling love for everyone, including yourself, and you've been able to tap in to love, like love, you know, uh, a spiritual teacher, Matt Kahn has a phrase, whatever arises, love that. So some enlightened people, that's all they did. They just loved whatever was going on as best they could. And they got better at, they developed like a muscle to get to love and even difficult things they would love and it would dissolve the difficulty. Like, let's say there's something, uh, that you don't like about yourself. Well, you love that part of you, it tends to dissolve. Yeah. So some people have found these really simple approaches that just worked for them and they stuck with that and it tipped them into where their identity shifted from it being an ego to being pure love or pure awareness or pure peace. And uh, they're great to be around because they're always happy. <laughs> So obviously a lot of folks listening in, um, just like you and I, like we have a lot of stuff going on. Maybe it's, maybe it's kids, maybe it's work, maybe it's whatever, you know, who knows, insert whatever. With these different practices, I guess, is there an encouragement on like, is there like, you're talking about your book, just pick one and try it then. Or is there like a, is there like a pre-starter to like get their mind right before they start doing some of these? I'm kind of curious, like, how do you, how do you mix and match these? How do you, cause a lot of folks are like, I got so much stuff going in my life. Like, yeah, I can try this, but who knows? But you know, we try things once, then we forget it and then we never do it again. But like, mm -hmm. is there an encouragement to get their mind right? Maybe it's meditation. I don't know, to be able to actually use these practices and make them like stick, if you will. Well, you know, if something you don't have to advertise that people should be having sex because sex feels really good. You know, once yeah. people have it, they go, Oh, I really like that. I might want to try that again. Yeah. You know, you right. don't have to, right. <laughs> you don't have to uh, convince people. 
And it's same, you know, if a method really works for you, you don't have to convince them, you really should do this uh, because it feels really good. Uh, with a lot of these folks, what happened was when they tried something, they noticed how good it felt. You don't really need so much a mindset. Uh, the only mindset you really need is try stuff, see what works for you. And we only live in the present. So try to dive deeper into the present. That's about as much belief you need. <laughs> you don't need to believe in Buddha, Jesus, uh, Muhammad, anything. You just need to see if you can dive within your own heart in a way that gets you to a higher vibration, we'll call it. Well, because I think I liken it to, you know, like we all know, like physical fitness is important for us, for our livelihood, for our body. Mm -hmm. And when you do it, whatever it is, whether it's running or CrossFit or biking, who knows, or swimming, you feel generally you feel good afterwards, like your body's excited. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, mm -hmm. what is it, the endorphins or whatever, maybe I'm, I'm mixing the words. But yeah, but yet there's a lot of people that know that, but then they don't do that. They don't want to do physical fitness. They don't do anything at all. So I guess mm -hmm. that's what I was liking it to, like someone that tries it and it's like, yeah, okay, kind of work, but, and then they don't do it again. Why is the mm -hmm. reason they wouldn't do it again? Like, is it something, is there something that some folks have found enlightenment and this works? Why are other folks not doing it if it works? I don't know if there's yeah, an answer to that, great. but I've. No, it's a great question. Like physical exercise, at first it might be a little bit challenging. You know, you have to make some effort mm -hmm. and then you feel good. You know, listening to a guided meditation, well, you have to find the guided meditation. You have to sit down. That's not easy for a lot of people. It might only be 10 minutes, but you got to do it. And then the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, yeah, there is a, a level of time where it can be slightly challenging to do some of these things until you get the payoff. That is true. I've developed methods to help people to do that. For example, when I was starting out meditating, it was a little bit challenging, so, but I wanted to do it for 20 minutes a day. So I said, every day that I don't meditate for 20 minutes, I'll take out a dollar and rip it up. Well, I'm cheap, so that worked. Uh, you know, maybe once a month I'd have to rip up a dollar, but the other 29 days I didn't want to rip up a dollar, so I, I, I did the 20 minutes. Eventually, that became really enjoyable. Once it became really enjoyable, I didn't need to to have some motivational technique to make sure I stayed with it. So give me an idea and just a couple more questions. I appreciate that, Jonathan. How do you, how's your day set up? Like, is there a meditation period? Is there, is there certain reflection points during your day? I'm just kind of curious how you personally set up your day to have more enlightenment, have more perspective and awareness in the present moment. Well, I do meditate for about 20 minutes in the morning. And then I take about 10 two minute breaks where I just try to sink into a state of peace, which is pretty, very accessible to me now. And it feels very ecstatic, so I enjoy doing it. Um, you know, but I also have a busy life. I get a lot of stuff done. I see clients in psychotherapy. I do podcasts, you know, I write, all those things. But you weave it in throughout your day. So rather than having a day full of tasks to do and complaints and hearing my mind, comment on everything, there's more of a sense that peace and love and play are a priority. And I found ways to tap into those things. And the two minute breaks, are those just closing your eyes? Like there's no guided meditation or anything like that? Or is there certain things you say to yourself or? 
I might focus on saying thank you for different things. I might focus on petting my dog and just tuning into how much I love her. I might focus on just how good it feels to uh, be with my breath. Um, and I, but you know, with practice, you learn how to get to certain states of consciousness. They don't seem so out of reach as they used to, you know, like the state of love. Well, it used to be I had to find the perfect partner to find a moment of love. Now I can find that within myself and it's much more convenient because wherever I go, there I am. Mm -hmm. So if someone's getting started today, and I like to say like, you know, they have a post-it note they can put on their computer or you know, who knows, maybe they put a big graphic on their wall, I don't know, whatever they want to do. Is there a, a piece of encouragement? Maybe it's a quote you live by, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's one of the practices from your book, could be anything. Anything you'd share kind of as a lasting impression of this conversation to help people get started and move forward? Well, often we have like a slight resistance to this moment. So one thing is to, I fully allow and embrace this moment as it is, or love it the way it is. You know, that would be a, a statement or thank you for this moment. Thank you for whatever is showing up in your life that you do appreciate. That's a way of being uh, with life in a way that's higher. Um, feeling your love for your pet or a child or somebody in your life, that's a great thing to do in a moment. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things, uh, obviously in the Enlightenment Project book, there's a lot more ideas. And once again, you know, try stuff and see what calls out to you. And then when you find something, just go with it. So it's the enlightenmentproject.net. People can go to the website, right? Any yeah, and they get, if they go to the website, they get my five free favorite techniques that can be done in under a minute. And uh, it's an ebook and audio meditation, and they get the first chapter of the book for free. Uh, so that's a good way to start because, you know, most people think of these things, they have to be long or difficult. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that most of the people who are successful meaning they became in line, they just found something that was really simple and it just worked for them and they just went all the way with it. Yeah. Well, I like this thought too, because I mean, our whole life, or let's just take a, our current day, it's not littered with, you know, every moment is anxiety or despair or depression or like that. It's, it's kind of these moments that creep up. So I guess to your point, if you know how to handle it, if there's a short practice you could use to get out of that state and get into a better one, now you're good for a, a period of time potentially, right? Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. have to be this thing that you have to immerse yourself into for, you know, 50 hours or something like that. Um, exactly. Which I like. I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> well, so anything else before I let you go on your book or maybe the work you're doing, you'd, you'd like folks to know? Well, I'll end with a, a quick story. Um, you know, when I was in India for me and another guru, he had me sit in front of him and he's, I, I, as I sat in front of him and he came, came up close and said, well, who are you? And I didn't know the protocol. So I said, I'm Jonathan Robinson from the United States. And he ended up laughing and he said, no, who are you really? And, you know, I said, well, I'm a writer. And he kind of shook his head. No, I said, well, I'm a spiritual seeker. He shook his head. No, I'm a man. He shook his head. No, I, we did this for like three minutes. I ran out of roles. Yeah. And then I just looked in his eyes. And as I looked in his eyes, I noticed that there was like pure love coming from his eyes. And I slowed down and I allowed that love to come in. And then to my surprise, like a tsunami of love hit me. And I started crying in his lap 
feeling all this love and peace. And as I'm in his lap crying, he taps me on the head and he says, this love and peace you feel, that's who you really are. And your job in life is to get back there. And I, I remember that as like, this is our job. This is what we're here to do. And, um, you know, people can go to my podcast, Awareness Explorers or the EnlightenmentProject.net, get a bunch of free methods and find what works for you because ultimately what's important in life is love, peace, joy, and contribution and not listening to our minds that are just complaining about stuff. So that's why I'd say is good for your listeners to know. Yeah, that's a great way to end this uh, conversation, Jonathan. Love to have another one down the road. You're always welcome back. So uh, I appreciate we'll, we'll that. definitely do that. So uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining on the podcast and appreciate your time. Very welcome. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianandraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.